If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of John. John 13, found on page 1070. John 13, starting at verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of, now is the Son of Man glorified, and, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Remember going to a parade as a kid? I remember when I was little, that was one of the highlights of the summer, when you got to go to a parade with, with your family. Usually you'd, you'd go a little bit early so you could find a decent spot along the street somewhere or next to a curb. And as the amount of people increased, so, so did your excitement, because you knew that it was going to start pretty quick. And usually how did you know when the parade began? The sirens, right? Fire trucks, police cars, and... And you heard that a long ways off, and as it got closer and closer, you got all the more excited. I remember when we were living in Indiana, we always loved going to the Progi Fest in, in Whiting, Indiana. And uh, each year they would uh, um, crown Mr. and Mrs. Progi. That was quite an honor. That was a big deal. But they also had just the craziest parade, and, and all the floats were just wacky. They even had synchronized lawnmowers. Um, these steel workers would dress like uh, old Polish women, and they did this little thing with lawnmowers, and it was just fun. It was that kind of a, that kind of a parade. But what makes a, a parade fun to watch? Is it just the candy? Maybe for kids that is what it is, but I think for us as adults, it's seeing everything move right along and seeing all the floats and the marching bands and everything that's part of it. But what would it be like if you went to a parade and everything was spaced way out? What if here comes the marching band five minutes later, here comes a fire truck five minutes later, here comes a float? Would that be a lot of fun to watch? I don't think so. It'd probably get pretty boring after a, a while. You'd probably sit there two hours to watch just a short parade. No, it's, it's the unity of the parade. That's what makes it interesting. I mean, that's what makes it a parade. Or, or think of a marching band. What makes a, a marching band fun to listen to and, and to see? It's because they're all together, right? Can you imagine if they were all in single file and they marched by you? First you'd hear the tubas, then you'd hear the drums, and then you'd hear whatever instrument. Not that the tubas would be in front, but... <laughs> It wouldn't really be a whole lot of fun, would it? Because you'd be hearing the in individual instruments instead of hearing it as a whole when they're standing together and they're, they're marching together. When you think of the church 
making their way home to heaven. Do you ever imagine it being like a parade? That we're in a big parade? That we're part of a great throng of people walking together full of joy and love and happiness, ready to welcome King Jesus? Is that the feel you have as you come to church? As you march together with other believers? Are you standing together, full of Christ's love, or would you say that maybe sometimes you forget about that? That we're maybe too individualistic, or we stand in these little cliques, these little groups, that's hard for others to get into, or even worse yet, we stand as individuals and we march by people one at a time. Is that what it means to be a church? I think that idea of a parade marching together in joy is a lot better picture. And for the visitors that come, what do they see when they're here? What do they experience? Again, do they see us marching as one or they see us divided? We talk about the Holy Catholic Church, the Holy Christian Church. But it's not always easy to live or work with those that you're marching with, those that you're in a church with. I mean, some people are easy. We're drawn to them, and other people, they're a little harder to get to know. Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus and the disciples? What, what, a, what a group of people that Jesus drew together. There was differences in temperament, culture, social and economic status, difference in their view of politics. Peter was a type A personality. He liked to jump into things without really thinking about it. John was a little bit more sentimental, tender. Andrew, he was the quiet one. Thomas, well, we know about Thomas. He was a skeptic. Even though he was a follower of Jesus, he doubted. It must have been hard for the disciples to always get along, to follow Jesus. Into the mix, you mix some crass fishermen, a politician, a zealot. What, what a group. But what made it possible for this diverse group of men to come together and be Jesus' disciple? It was Christ's love, but also it was his mission. They were united in both those things, his love and his mission. The 13th chapter of John begins with Jesus humbling himself as a servant, and he washes his disciples' feet. And they didn't understand this. They didn't understand what it meant to be a servant, and Jesus was demonstrating that to them. But he was also demonstrating to them God's great love. He showed this to them again when they celebrated the Passover and commands them to continue to celebrate this meal in remembrance of him. The Passover lamb. After the meal was over and Judas left, then Jesus spent some time talking to his disciples. And he says in verse 34, Love one another just as I have loved you. Now we know that John caught this message. <clears throat> Excuse me. John caught hold of this message, not only by the way he writes in the book of John, but also the way he writes in, in his epistle. Let me read just a couple verses from there. 
1 John 2, 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Hear that word love, brotherhood? 1 John 3.10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. One more. 1 John 4.7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. Jesus calls his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. What kind of love is that? Well, that's agape love, and we've talked before about that. It's a sacrificial and giving love. It's a love that you offer to others not because they deserve it, but you love them anyways, even when they don't deserve it. And when you love this way, you're really reflecting the very love of God, the very love of Christ that brought him to the cross, that that allowed him to give his life to take away our sins, his great love for us. This is the love Jesus demonstrated. This is the love that we are called to offer those around us. Verse 33, he tells his disciples that he will be with them for only a short while because he would be going back to the Father. I think you could say, really, he was handing over his baton to them. He had been carrying it, they were following him, but now he's handing it to them and saying, now I'm going to go back to my Father and you're to carry it and continue on with what I started. To love the world around you, to be my light, to be my witness to carry on the mission. This is why he commands his disciples to love one another, to love each other as I have loved you. But Jesus says this is a new command, and so we we scratch our heads and we say, well, why is it a new command? Doesn't the Bible always talk about loving one another? I mean, listen to Leviticus 19.18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, didn't they already know that? Why is it a new command to love one another? Well, clearly Jesus is setting a, a, a new and, I think you could say, higher standard for love. See, before they were called to love one another, as you love one another, as, as love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? We'll just make it simple. So, as we want others to love us, we're called to love others. But now Jesus is, is making it a higher standard. And he's saying, love one another as I have loved you. How does Jesus love us? Well, they were about to see this the very next day. He would offer his life on the cross. That's how much he loved them. And that's the kind of love he wanted his disciples to show. See, in the Old Testament, they had kind of a skewed idea of what love was. See, they knew they needed to love one another, but in their minds, they needed to love family, they needed to to love fellow Jews. That's who they were to love. What were they supposed to do with their enemies? Kill them. Get rid of them. 
But now Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. That means everybody. He makes no distinction. Jesus says, love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. Love one another. It seems so simple, but it's so powerful. Our world talks about it all the time, about loving each other, but they don't take it deep enough. They don't go far enough with it. We need to love each other as Christ has loved us, with an agape and and sacrificial love. And when we love that way, then we don't show distinction between Jew or Gentile, or between rich or poor, between man or woman, or but we love each other as Christ has loved us, giving ourselves completely for another. I love the way John summarizes it in John, 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. What a witness to the world when we can love this way. If our church loves this way, It's a witness that the world cannot deny. See, we need to look past our our differences. And we need to stand together. Not that we need to tolerate sin or love sin. We need to hate it. I'm not talking about that. But we need to love each other, accept each other. And as we love one another, it's amazing what can happen. And the world notices when we stand together, what a, what a witness to the world. It, it's a witness that the world cannot deny. Because you just have to look around us and we see such disunity. And such hatred at times and what that hatred leads people to do. Though the world around us may not totally understand our love, and they don't. Yet still they cannot deny it. And it's the love that Christ calls us to imitate. When this love binds us together, when it influences everything that we do, we become a force the world cannot ignore. Jesus says in verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But the opposite is true, right? If we don't stand together, if we don't love each other, when we allow walls to divide us, when we allow walls to divide families that have gone on for years and years and years, And think it's okay. It hurts our witness. And our community notices. They see that when we're not standing together. And they have to scratch their head and wonder, is the love of Christ really there? Some of you may have never experienced this. Some some of you I know have. But you might remember the the promise keepers that, that time when a lot of men went to these conferences all around the, the U.S. I got to go uh, when it was at the Silver Dome in, in Detroit one year. And, and, and these conferences were amazing. These men from all around the country would come together. I think that when I was there, there was 80,000 men. 80,000 men standing together, loving one another, putting their arms around each other. The media did not understand this. In fact, they they covered these conferences. And and they were trying to figure out what was going on. And they they really thought it was a cult. 
And they were going to try to get behind it, what, what was making this possible. But when they came to these conferences and, and they viewed what was being said and what they saw in, in all the men there, they, they couldn't deny it. It was strange to them, but people actually loved each other. They were standing together no matter what their color, no matter what their background, rich or poor. It didn't matter. What a witness to the world. What makes this kind of unity possible? It's the love of Christ. It's a love at work in us through the Holy Spirit. Missionary preached at a church one Sunday. Since he was preaching, they also asked him to do the children's message. And so since he was talking about the love of Christ and, and our unity together, he, did, he wanted all the kids who came forward for the children's message to, to do this little finger thing that many of you probably taught your kids. What is the church? You remember that? You hold your hands together like this. and um, Remember how that goes? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and there's all the people. Well, what he didn't realize is one of the little boys that was sitting there only had one arm. And he really felt bad because after he didn't notice that until after he, he told the kids to join him in, in doing that and, and talk about our unity in, in, in Christ. And, and so the kids are all trying to figure out how to do that and you know with their fingers. And this little boy, though, he just put his head on his lap. You could tell he was upset because he couldn't do it. Because as you can see, you really need two hands to do that, right? But there was a little girl sitting next to him. And she put her hand on his, and she says, let's do the church together. And because she said it kind of loud, a lot of people in the congregation heard it. She didn't realize it, but boy, that was a powerful message. Let's do the church together. You can't do it by yourself. We need each other. It comes as no surprise that this was what Jesus prayed about in his high priestly prayer right before he went to the cross. It was one of the last prayers that, that he, he spoke. And let me remind you a little bit of what he said. John 17, starting at verse 20. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. So that the world may know. What a powerful witness. Jesus says, our, our unity, it's a witness to the world like none other. And we don't often think about it. Again, to stand together when there's such division in the world around us, it, it, it doesn't make sense. How can we call one another brothers and sisters, despite our differences, despite sometimes our, our faults, despite at times sinning against one another? How can we forgive? How can we love? But when we do those things, it points to the power of God. It points and shows everyone that Christ is here among us. That we're not doing this in our own strength. 
See, but this kind of love we have to choose. We have to choose this love. Sometimes it comes naturally. Often it comes naturally in a family, between a husband and a wife, between parents and children, grandparents and children. But sometimes it's a lot harder, especially when people are a lot different, more different than you, and especially when they're a little ornery, and some people aren't as easy to get along with. And yet when we choose to love despite our differences, what a power, what a witness. And it draws people. They don't understand it, but it draws people. And it gives us an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Because that's what makes it all possible. And while this kind of love takes sacrifice and work, yet really it's the privilege of every believer to be part of this. And so if you know that walls exist here in our church between you and another believer... I hope it will matter to you as much as it matters to Christ and that you'll do something about it, that you won't allow it to go on any longer. It needs to stop. We need to stand together as one for the sake of our witness to our community, for the sake of our witness to the world. If you need to ask someone for forgiveness, then do it. If you need to forgive someone yourself, then do that also. Do whatever it takes to stand together so that our witness can truly be seen. So that it will proclaim loudly to our community that Christ is here among us. 1 John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and is made complete in us. Do you hear that? Let me read that again. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us and is made complete in us. And so they see him through us. That's the power of love. May this be the prayer of each of us. That the world may be drawn to Jesus' love as they feel it demonstrated in each of your lives and my life as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your great love a love which binds us together and makes us one. Father, forgive us when we allow things to divide us. And Father, we just pray that we might get serious about this just as you were. Just as you prayed about one of your last prayers before you went to the cross. That's how important it was to you that we stand together as one. And so, Lord, may it be important to us. And through it, Lord, may many come to know Jesus. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.